0: Hi, welcome to Active Intelligence, I'm Aaron Ironside, and I hope you'll spend the next half an hour with me as we take a look at social issues from a variety of perspectives. In fact, that's what today's episode is all about, and that's whether or not the issue of media bias exists here in New Zealand. Is it true? that we can't trust the mainstream media? Is it all fake news these days? We'll find out and we'll invite you to make up your own mind about the topic and engage in some active intelligence. On today's episode, I speak with Barry Soper, a political editor who's been covering our politicians for 50 years, and ask him whether or not he thinks that media bias has crept in over the years that he's been covering our politicians from the beehive. But we start today with a real-life example of media bias. You may recall that last year, I was the spokesperson for the Say Nope to Dope Cannabis referendum campaign, and at the end of the election, we sat down to ask the question, did we get a fair shake with respect to the media? So Family First commissioned a report to take a look at how the New Zealand media covered both referenda topics, and the results were quite intriguing because both topics were treated very differently. But I'll let Bob McCoskery of Family First explain as he told Mike Hosking, on The Breakfast Show on News Talk ZB. Not surprised on the cannabis
1: issue I thought the euthanasia one might be Perhaps a little bit biased But what we found in the analysis was That uh, yeah there was a bit of bias In terms of the op-eds towards the no vote On euthanasia but the news items Leaned towards the yes so It sort of balanced out uh, across All the coverage. What was interesting Mike Was also is that, so this is over a Six month period we've analysed more than 400 New Zealand based media Articles and opinion pieces. There was 123 that focused on the the euthanasia referendum, but more than double, 281 uh, pieces on the cannabis referendum that the cynical observer might say, well, the media were a little bit more worried that the result wasn't going to be a
2: yes. Exactly. And the fact that they not only did they write more about it, but they wrote more um, based on you. Yeah. See, here's the problem. I don't care if you were yes or no, as long as you told me that's what your position was. And I understood that. not isn't, isn't that basically the rules of the
1: game? Well, my understanding in the old media was that you actually measured columns to make sure that you were giving equal space to both sides, and what we found was that simply wasn't happening in the media coverage. It was pretty frustrating for us watching and trying to be involved in the debate, but it seemed like the media were on auto-dial to a couple of politicians and ex-prime minister and a couple of drug-friendly groups.
2: And did you have trouble getting, your, because you were no, did you have trouble getting your message out or across?
1: Oh, hugely. It was uh, It was ignored. Uh, Many times we tried to pitch for uh, opinion pieces that were turned away. So it was a real struggle, very frustrating. In fact, that was the most depressing part of last year was uh, each morning reading the media coverage and just seeing completely biased pieces. And it was frustrating because I just felt that the public deserved to hear both sides. Like you say, uh, they can vote yes or no, that's their prerogative, but they deserve an even-handed approach Mm. My argument is that the media should present the debate, but they shouldn't lead the debate. They should report it.
2: It's a very good way of putting it. So when you couldn't get your message across, what was the the argument from the media outlet? That they weren't interested or that there was plenty of your voice out there
1: already or whatever? Oh, no, there was just no communication at all. And so that's where you have to turn to social media and you have to pay big tech to push your message if they allow it. Yeah. (laughs) See Which the, the, a whole the, the issue.
2: the what yeah, here the worrying thing for me in, in in your work with with the I mean the spin-off doesn't count they're a minor player but stuff News Hub New Zealand Herald TVNZ Radio New Zealand that's basically the bulk of the media landscape in this country it's not like there's an outlier there that wasn't behaving themselves it's the lot of them
1: Yeah well that's what it felt like to us as well the the Otago Daily Times actually gets a reasonable tick, but what we did was we to avoid any accusations of bias and going fishing for these biased artists, Articles. We used Bryce Edwards, who's the political commentator from uh, Victoria University. We used his daily list of articles that were published. So, you know, it was that maintained the neutrality of the analysis uh, so that we couldn't be accused of fishing for biased articles, but it wasn't hard to find the biased articles, unfortunately. And like I say, in the euthanasia referendum, uh, credit where credit's due, the media did a good job. But in the cannabis referendum, they were woefully inadequate.
2: Exactly. So the difficulty now is, what do you do about it? And the answer I would suggest to you is, there is nothing that can be done about it because they're not going to change and they're not interested in changing. So it's up to the punter, I suppose, to be at least aware of what you're dealing with.
1: Yeah, awareness for the consumer of what they're actually buying or reading. Uh, But we'll send it to the New Zealand Media Council and also the Broadcasting Standards Authority. I'll send it to the Minister of Broadcasting and the spokespeople from the other political parties. It might be a bit of a wake-up call. Might be. I'm not sure.
2: Well, good luck with it and good work. Appreciate it very much, Bob McCroskey, out of Family First. And, of course, the the next part of this is how many of the aforementioned do you think are going to run this research this morning reporting on the bias of their bias? go spend the day don't spend too long because you have more to do with your life but go spend the day look at the herald look at stuff listen to rnz listen to tvnz
0: have a look and see if they cover this story at all or whether they're too ashamed to well i hope you didn't spend the day looking to see if the mainstream media was willing to report on its own bias because it never happened nada zilch Not one of them was willing to actually acknowledge this report and the bias that it revealed. But perhaps we wouldn't be really that surprised about that. Well, it's time now for our guest today, political editor Barry Soper. It's hard for me to believe that when I started in radio some 30 years ago, Barry Sober was already a legend, and he's my guest today. He was political editor back then. Today, I suppose you put the word emeritus, because I can't imagine there'll ever be a time where Barry Sober isn't the man we go to for political <laughs> insight. And he joins me today. G'day, Barry. Barry. Well,
3: with flattery like that, Aaron, I mean, where are we going to go from here, you know?
0: Well, you have to answer the actual question. Uh, how long has it been that you've been doing this for?
3: Um, well, I became political editor. It was a private radio in those days, back in 1980. Uh, that's when I started in the Parliamentary Press Gallery. So I started off as the boss. It's been quite good, really, because I've been the boss ever since, although I'm never a boss. Uh, I think everybody else bosses me. But um, I started in journalism, believe it or not. Uh, this is dreadful to say, but in 1969, so I've been more than 50 years in the business, which is uh, a long, long time.
0: Well, if you can remember back that far, I'm wondering what your thoughts were when you were entering your career as a journo. What was journalism about? What was this idea of the fourth estate that governs sort of the idea about how journalism had this function in society?
3: It was very, very different uh, back in 69. I, I started in June 69 and um, it was sort of, you know, those sun visors in the office, men with cigarettes um, and diction and spelling and punctuation was everything. And uh, I was on a newspaper, I was a sub-editor, so essentially my job was to write headlines uh, and it was for the Southland Times. So um, it was very conservative era. In journalism. And I think there was on the staff at the um, uh, Southland Times at the time, there was one woman on the editorial staff. Her name was Pauline Sutton. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's incredible when you think how since then journalism has changed. Um, there were a lot of people that I still know from that era that uh, started, but I started before there was any formal training for journalists. So we started as cadet reporters. And sort of worked our way up from there
0: what was the idealism of the fourth estate what was the the dream of the journalist
3: oh i think uh like it in a way is today it's um always to tell the truth uh, and to get the story out there and at the end of the day the story is the thing it's um a lot of journalists are accused of uh, making headlines simply to add to the coffers of their employers And I've never felt that way personally. And I don't think most journalists feel like that either. I mean, they know that uh, the business is about uncovering stories, about exposing people who should be exposed, who are ripping off other people. I went on, uh, Aaron, you'll love this, because it was such a reputable paper in those days, was I went on to work for Truth. And, uh, (laughs) And whenever I say that these days, I get the reaction that you've just given. People say, that's scurrilous rag. Well, I can tell you the time that I worked on Truth, I was the sole office representative. It was in 1973 in Hamilton. And uh, it it was a great era of journalism then because uh, in those days, they used to give you as long as you like to investigate a story. And some stories would take up to a month and um, you would finally expose whatever you were setting out to expose. But don't forget, Truth was there before you had the likes of um, consumer affairs, television-like, Fair Go. Uh, So a lot of people felt that truth was the place to go to if they were being ripped off. And uh, we had plenty of complaints, plenty of stories. And uh, it really taught me a lot about journalism, about uh, how to uncover stories, how to work on stories, and at the end of the day, more importantly than anything, to make sure they were accurate. And I'm pleased to say, Aaron that in all my time in this business, I've never been sued for any inaccuracy.
0: Let's talk about the impact of uh, 24-hour news television. Because it seems to me that one of the challenges was that very quickly, uh, news editors realised there wasn't 24 hours worth of news. And so to fill up that airtime, we started to talk to experts to get opinions. And opinions have become a kind of news all of their own, did it change everything? Is CNN, in a sense, to blame for the way in which news has become so opinion-based?
3: I think it's sort of been a gradual uh, progression. I remember when um, I started in newspapers, you would never have a byline. It was a story in the paper without a byline. And then they introduced bylines, so people were identified with uh, particular stories and the way stories were written. And then, of course, um, from the time I started in Parliament, I was expected to give opinions because as political editor, that's your job. And so as a callow youth, I would say, well, I was not quite 30, but I was giving opinions on the likes of Rob Muldoon and whether he was doing the right thing. And he used to scowl at me. And uh, I remember once him saying to me, Mr Shaper, I'll be here long after you're gone. And sitting there, I thought, we'll see about that, Rob. And, of course, um, I'm still there. But, um, yeah, I think in terms of opinion, I I believe that there's so much opinion out there. Sometimes it gets confused with actual news, and that's a bit of a problem, uh, because it would seem that now everyone has an opinion. And I think the advent of social media as opposed to um, 24-hour television. I think it's social media that's uh, led to much more opinion being out there because it would seem that anybody now, regardless of their background, uh, can tap away on their um, laptop and express their opinion and suddenly it becomes bona fide. Um, I don't think it is, but nevertheless, um, they're able to do it and some influencers look at it and um, shy away from it. So, you know, opinion is very much now... Uh, part of uh, the journalistic ethos.
0: Let's talk about bias. Uh, you've said before that you don't perceive a great bias, and I think for the most part you're right. But as you know, I spent a good chunk of last year being the spokesperson for the no-vote campaign in the cannabis referendum. In the wash-up of that, Family First did some analysis of the media coverage of both referenda topics. Now, it turned out that euthanasia came out at pretty much 50-50, very close, so we called that kind of fair and balanced coverage. But we suspected as we were going along that it looked like there weren't as many opportunities for me or the no position to get an airing in the public arena. Yeah, but you had nothing to
3: say, Aaron. That's the problem.
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) certainly you'd get that impression from the results because the results were that the yes advocates were quoted uh, twice as often as no advocates were. What do you put that kind of bias down to?
3: Well, I think you put it down to who is delivering the message. And in your case, it was um, family first, I think. And, you know, I mean, and I understand, certainly understand the point of view coming from where Family First comes from. And, you know, it's a respected um, lobby group. And, you know, I think they have a view. But there are so many views and there were so many views on cannabis uh, law reform and whether it was a good thing. I was a a yes uh, to cannabis law reform because... Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen it overseas, I've seen it uh, where it's been legalised for some time, seen it in uh, Amsterdam, for example, and I've often made the comparison, I know we're not here to talk about cannabis law reform, but uh, generally the perception of the media, and um, if you look at uh, the streets on Amsterdam, um, and I was there on a Thursday, Friday and Saturday night, and compared that with um, Courtney Place in Wellington, and the people that uh, are in Courtney Place boozed and vomiting in gutters, whereas in um, Amsterdam, everybody was smiling, uh, few cops around and very, well, no disorder that I could see. So uh, that's a very simplistic view of uh, probably why some people, such as myself, um, uh, say yes. But uh, there were many more um, issues that were involved in that. But in terms of coming back to the media and their coverage of it, I think uh, it's, it's probably more sympathetic within the media uh, for pro-cannabis law reform. And I think just that's a general aspect of uh, the media and maybe the way the issue was covered.
0: Well, in light of that, though, what does that say about our journalistic community that, in a sense, they struggled to park their own perspective and bias, both in terms of how they covered the stories, but even which stories they bothered with? Uh, do we need to learn to, to park our bias at the door?
3: No, I think it, this was about social change. And, um, you know, it's a bit different to uh, cracking down on bikies, for example. It's a uh, an issue of social change. And I, you know, put in the same category as that um, changing the flag, that debate. And uh, I th- I'm sure if you weighed up the pros and cons for that, you may come out with the same conclusion that, you know, those of us who were in favour of changing the flag. And you've got to remember both these issues, funnily enough, they were very, very close when it came down to the line. I mean, there wasn't an overwhelming majority, uh, one or the other issues. So, uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, I, I guess a bit of media bias there. But uh, like I said at the beginning, that uh, sometimes it's the messenger that's putting it out because we know uh, where the message is coming from and maybe they don't get the coverage that they believe that they uh, should be uh, getting.
0: Let's talk about that, though. Should it really matter that the messenger is unpopular? We understand that the media has a long history with an organisation like Family First and doesn't necessarily approve of many of its perspectives. But should that really have mattered, given that there were nine uh, official yes campaigns, but only the two no campaigns? Should it have mattered? Shouldn't it have just been the facts that were important?
3: Oh, absolutely. And I think both sides were put maybe more one side than the other. But I think You've got to understand and I'm sure you do that the, the media generally is a fairly liberal uh, organ well not organization, but it's a they're fairly liberal people and they tend to take a more liberal view than they do a conservative line like you, like um, family First. So you know it's uh, to be expected I think, and that's not to say that uh, the other side isn't given um, coverage but maybe not as coverage as much coverage as they expected to be given.
0: Well, in light of that, it it leads to that kind of nuanced question of, is it a journalist's job to simply report the news or to start shaping it, to actually see themselves as some kind of influencer of culture? How far does that go?
3: Well, you know, I think uh, as a rule, it's um, the media's job to report the news and to put the facts out there and people can make up their own minds about it. But getting back to what we were discussing earlier, that opinion has crept into the news like never before. And so there is a bias, certainly uh, in the media. And, uh, you know, I can be accused of that as well, because uh, we all have views. And um, fortunately for those of us who have a platform to express those views, uh, we tend to do that. And, um, you know, that's, that's the nature of the business. It's not everyone has the same platform. But, you know, if you've got an old geezer like me that's been around a long time, Uh, even though I get a lot of criticism on social media for some of the things I might say. um, You know, I think I've uh, earned my stripes to be able to say
0: it. Uh, let's talk about uh, how people are asked to navigate this space now. In America, for example, we see that that bias is very polarising. You'd almost be tempted to believe that, that Fox News is the right yeah. bias and CNN is the left bias. And depending on your own political disposition, that's who you watch and listen to. It, it seems very difficult to know how to uncover the truth, how to really work out who to believe when it does appear that polarised.
3: Yeah, but I think um, Donald Trump was uh, a master manipulator. And, uh, you know, he claimed even the election result was rigged. But prior to that, uh, we knew that what he was going to do before he was uh, voted out of the White House. And, in fact, I was fortunate enough to cover the 2016 campaign um, with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And some of the stuff that came out then, remember the emails at the end and... um, uh, Uh, Certainly, American politics is very manipulative. Um, uh, There are sides in the media, like you've just mentioned, Fox News and CNN. CNN is very pro-Democrat. Fox News is um, pro-Republican, although I don't think they're as pro as they once were before Donald Trump uh, came around. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, but if you go, you know, it's not only the United States, if you go to Britain, you know you've got the sun tabloid that's a uh, very right wing you've got the guardian which is left wing uh so you've got left and right and i don't think you get ex- the same in this country the same extremes in this country and maybe it's because of our size that uh you know we're not quite big enough to uh, have organizations that uh can take these polarizing views but nevertheless uh you know there is there certainly is a bias in the media Um, But if you want to tune into Radio New Zealand uh, Morning Report as opposed to Mike Hosking on News Talk ZB, it's your choice.
0: Uh, Let's talk about uh, the fact that this has led to the emergence of the alt-right media, this kind of abandoning of mainstream media altogether. And particularly, it seems conservative people have have gotten it in their head that the mainstream media can't be trusted and, and is a kind of against them and has some sort of Cultural uh, agenda that they can't approve of. Uh, what is the way forward now? What is the future of mainstream media if large chunks of the population no longer really trust journalists to be the truth teller they once were?
3: Yeah, it's an it's an interesting conundrum that because when you look at um, certainly social media has given rise to that. And it's given rise to in my view too much credibility being given to some aspects of social media whereas mainstream media and here i am defending it and i think i'm able to do that because i've been in it for so long but mainstream media tend to be trained journalists they tend to be people that have gone out myself excluded because i started it too long ago but uh mainstream media i don't I think there will always be a place for that. I think um, people understand that if they're tuned into the mainstream media they're going to get opinion definitely, but they'll get uh, much more of the real news than what Donald Trump would like to have us believe uh, the real news is fake news. Well, in the mainstream media there's in my view very little fake news.
0: How do we test it? What is the litmus test? How does a user work out as you say what is fake news and what isn't
3: well you know um, how long is a piece of string I mean really um, I think if you apply pure logic to what you're reading and um, you know extrapolate that against what you know about a particular subject you'll probably come to the right conclusion but you know uh, there is so much um, fake stuff and very little of it, I've got to say, is in the mainstream media, uh, of which you worked for for a number of years. Um, and I don't think, I think um, the most of the fake stuff uh, is um, social media and people, the keyboard warriors at home, uh, sort of sitting down and typing whatever they want and um, expect the public to believe it.
0: Well, Barry Siper, thank you so much for your time today. I'd wish you another 50 years in uh, political editorial work, but I wouldn't don't. wish that on anybody? <laughs> Well Barry doesn't really believe that bias is real but perhaps he's not able to see the wood for the trees so to speak. He's been involved for so long he's part of the woodwork and it might be really difficult for him to actually see and believe that the New Zealand media has become biased. But I want to tell you a story about how bias really truly happened in my own experience. Here's how it went down during the campaign. On day one The TV reporter asked me, is smart approaches to marijuana in the US funding the Kiwi campaign because we had borrowed their name? We were Sam NZ. We explained, no, we've just borrowed the name, but the Americans aren't giving us any money or any influence or leadership or anything. And yet on the Tuesday, they ran the story that said that the Americans were interfering in the Kiwi political process. We were pretty mad about that and demanded a right of reply. They kind of knew they'd done the wrong thing, but he was the right of reply. On the Wednesday, I got 20 seconds to explain the truth, not during the news, but at the end of the sports news, just before the ad break. So I know full well that media bias does happen in this country. It might not be widespread, but I promise you, it is happening. So how do we tell fake news from the real? How do we work out what to believe and who to listen to? Well, I thought this piece from the BBC was very helpful in trying to work out how to spot
4: fake news. The rise of social media and online platforms means misleading information can rapidly go viral. And guess what? It's good to always be sceptical. There's plenty of misleading material online. Sharing, liking or retweeting such content only helps to amplify it. Here are some simple tips on how to spot fake news. First of all, look at the sources. Who has shared it and who has published it? Check the language. Is it sensationalist or full of loaded terms? Social media platforms are fraught with misleading images and memes. Memes featuring a public figure and a quote can look very convincing. Double-check the quote. Did the person in the meme actually say it? (laughs) Zoom into an image to check for any hints about its location, like a shop or a street sign, a vehicle's license plate, a billboard or a placard. In 2018, this video was widely shared in the Middle East and claimed to show police in Iran looting a shop during street protests. The clue that this is fake is right here, where the Spanish word for police is clearly visible on the riot shield. The video was actually from Mexico. Platforms like Google, Tenai, Bing, and Yandex allow you to check when an image first appeared on the web so you know if it's an old image doing the round. There are plenty of inauthentic social media accounts. While identifying a bot account is not always easy and usually can only be done by the tech companies, there are some things you can look out for. Be careful, these clues on their own do not necessarily suggest a user is a bot or suspicious. Check an account's handle or username. Does it have loads of random letters and numbers in succession? That might suggest that the account was generated by an algorithm Look at the account's bio, how much information is provided, and does it match their activity? You can also reverse search their profile photo. Is it a generic stock image, or is it stolen from somewhere else? Their timeline can tell you a lot too. Do they write content of their own and engage with other users, or do they only share or retweet content? As a general rule of thumb, if you see an unverified account, Posting more than 70 times a day on a regular basis. Alarm bells should ring.
0: I don't know about you, but I found that really helpful. I feel like I'm far better equipped to work out uh, the real from the fake. But where do we finish today? Well, I think it's by realizing that there is some media bias in New Zealand right now. It has crept in. I don't think everything's fake news, but nor do I think that we should be necessarily just trusting everything we see and hear at face value. We need to now exercise some active intelligence. We need to start asking ourselves, what else is there that I need to learn about this issue? What haven't I been told? What did the media omit to tell me? Because perhaps it didn't fit the particular narrative that they're wanting me to believe and then go and do some homework, find out some other information, and then weigh up what you hear. By all means, take into consideration what the mainstream media has offered, but realise there might be another story that needs to be listened to as well. And once you've heard both sides of the story, then you make up your mind. Don't just believe what you're told to believe by the media, exercise some active intelligence and decide for yourself where you sit on the topic. Well, I hope that was helpful today. If you enjoyed the program, if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Activeintelligence.nz. Thanks so much. We'll catch you next time.